All right, good to see everyone here today, and uh, happy Veterans Day to you veterans. And uh, good to have Ben with us, and dressed out in his Marine Corps, what do you call it, blues there? Yep. 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 Looks sharp. So we're glad you're able to be here. What's that? Today is the Marine Corps birthday, right? Yes, because yes, Ben told me that. <laughs> What's that? 244. All right. 244. How many Marines do we have in here? I know we've got a couple, a few now. Yeah. All right. Good. My dad was a Marine, and so I didn't follow in the footsteps, but I was born on the Marine base down in Yuma. So I'm called the Yuma Knight because I was born in Yuma, but I don't really claim Yuma because it's not really a cool town to claim. But anyways, <laughs> all right, 1 Corinthians this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to look at another lesson in our series of He Will Be Our Guide. <clears throat> Psalm 48, 14, our, our theme verse for this year has been uh, says, for this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. And so we've been doing just a, a series here about places and things that God helps guide us through. Uh, and we're trying to look at some practical things uh, in our daily lives that God will help uh, guide us in. And so this morning we're going to look at another one here. First <clears throat> Corinthians chapter number 10. How many have seen the movie, and I forget the year it was, I think it's 1963, but I could be wrong. Some might correct me, but there's a movie called The Great Escape. Anybody watch the movie? Even young guys? What? You've seen the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's the movie about? Aiden. 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 Uh, it's because there's a kid on Adam's soccer team named Aiden. Sorry. Aiden. What is the... <laughs> What is, what is the movie about? Uh, about them escaping. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right. The Great Escape is about them escaping. All right. Does anybody know a little bit more detail about what it's about? What are they escaping from? German concentration. Yeah, German. German concentration camp. Or uh, uh, does anybody know? Let's see. Let me try to think of any other details I can quiz on before I give more details myself. Yeah, it was supposed to be inescapable. That's right. This was called uh, Stalag Luft, and they called it Stalag Luft Three. This was a, a camp where basically prisoners that had already escaped other prison camps would be inescapable. In fact, they said that this prison camp was, they did three specific things to this camp to where they thought it was inescapable. One is they raised the huts off the ground. So the, the places where prisoners were kept were, were about two or three feet off of the ground so that they could basically observe everything underneath the huts. There was no way to just dig underneath them without being seen. So they had done some things to lift it. They had changed the whole uh, ground. They, they put like, basically shifty sand on the ground so it wasn't a firm ground. They said that that would help. And then they actually put monitors. I believe it was about nine feet under the ground. They put monitors at different places that were like electrical monitors that would basically triggers like alarms that would go off. And they had those set all throughout the camp. So they said that this camp was inescapable. And so the, the lesson isn't about the movie this morning, um, but the, the movie uh, was based on a true story 
uh, March 24th, 1944, is considered one of the most audacious projects carried out during World War II. And it was where basically Allied soldiers basically escaped from this prison camp. And uh, the movie itself, uh, from my recollection, uh, focuses on quite a bit of Americans involved in that. There were actually no Americans involved in the actual escape. Uh, most of the Americans are, that had already been transferred off of that camp before the escape actually happened. But you did have a lot of allied partners and a lot of them were airmen that had been shot down and captured. And so that was where they were being kept. Uh, so basically the story goes like this. Uh, this the, there's a, there was a man by the name of uh, Roger Bushel uh, who had already escaped two other camps. And he was in this camp and he basically got the men together and they organized this plan to dig three tunnels. They were going to dig three tunnels, called them Tom, Dick, and Harry is what they called them. And uh, they, dug the, they, they were going to dig these tunnels in different directions, hoping to get basically outside the camp. But the whole plan was to dig deeper than what the monitors would be. And so, again, I could give you a ton of details, but the way that it, basically what they did was for a whole year, for a whole year, they snuck supplies uh, from the kitchen hall and from different things. They took mattresses. They took all sorts of stuff. They would take floorboards randomly from underneath bunks or off the walls or on, on the floor, and they would just cover them and they would use them. And as they would dig, they would kind of keep propping up their tunnel as they would go. For a, for a full year they dug, they went 30 feet down and then they went, I can't remember exactly the length, it's probably written in here, but they went a certain amount of feet and they thought they were getting to the woods. They thought they had made it all the way to the woods. So they dug 30 feet down and then they dug this huge, these huge tunnels. Two of the tunnels got found out, but the one tunnel didn't. I think it was Harry was what was left. And what they did was they started underneath a stove and they kept the stove on all the time so that the guards would never come in and check the stove or check in that area because it would be so hot. So they had a way of moving it while it was hot and getting underneath it and then they would put it back on top. These men would oftentimes go down with very little clothing on so that their prison outfits didn't show a bunch of dirt and a bunch of sand from crawling in the holes. Um, and they basically, again, they did it for a full year. And after a year on March 24th, 1944, it is told that these men basically made this escape. They planned for 200 men to get out. And what they found is they got, to the end of the sh they got to the end of their tunnel and they came up through their exit shaft and they realized they were only about six feet outside the actual wall. And they were, they were right near a guard station. So they actually didn't dig far enough. So they had debated, do we wait longer? Do we, do we put more effort into this? Do we take another year or whatever it takes to go further? And they just said, no, we're going to get everybody out now. They had planned to get one person out every two minutes. It took them um, at least 10 minutes to get one person out. So they were only getting six people out an hour. And uh, so it took them, they got all the way to 76 men, got out of this tunnel before the, uh, the 77th man actually, when he came up, got spotted by a guard and they sounded the alarm. And uh, so only 76 men got out. Do you know how many of those 76 actually stayed out? Three. They recaptured 73 of those men and the vast majority were brought back and put back into a camp and actually Hitler violated the Geneva Convention and everything and took them out and actually would just slaughtered them. Executed most of them on hidden highways and things like that would just kill them and leave their bodies out there to waste and so forth. Um, but the great escape, it was it, it, it made into a movie, an entertaining movie, but based on a story of men who 
were very devoted to escaping out of this prison camp. And again, you can read more detail. It's a pretty fascinating story. This morning, we're going to talk about an escape for us, an escape that God provides for us. And now, it's not the same as necessarily exiting a prison camp, but here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there is a great escape for us that God can guide us through, that God provides for us. It's called a way of escape, and it's out of this area of temptation. Temptation. Um, there in verse number 13, he says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may, may be able to bear it. <clears throat> the great escape in the Christian life is to avoid temptation. Um, again, there's a lot of uh, talk about what this verse means. A lot of times people use this verse when someone's going through a trial and they say, hey, God's not going to give you more than you can bear. God will help you get through that trial. And I'm not even saying that you couldn't use this. That word temptation uh, uh, doesn't just mean sinful temptation. It just simply means um, basically a proving or an experiment or a trial that's going on in your life. So that could be a trial of the flesh, a trial of, of sinful temptation, and it could just be a trial that you're going through, a, a health trial or a, a, a grieving trial or whatever it might be. But if you look at the context, and this morning we're going to actually look at the full context of this chapter, Paul here is specifically talking about sinful, lustful desires and temptations that will plague people, that will cause people to stumble. And Paul basically says there is a way to escape out of that. God does not leave us to our own doing to try to deal with this sinful flesh and to deal with the sinful world and to deal with uh, a, 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 an evil devil. He doesn't just leave us to say, hey, I hope you figure it out. Well, I hope you can battle the things of your flesh until you get to heaven someday and you get a perfect body and you, you no longer have to battle the things of the flesh. He says, no, I, can, I will provide a way. He says, make a way to escape. And so God will guide us in a way to escape out of temptation. Let's just read here. We're going to go back to verse number one, and then we'll read up through our verse there. Verse number, we'll go back to verse number 14. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse number one. What is Paul uh, talking about here? Verse number one, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. We, we can just go back. You can go back to the book of Exodus when uh, Moses was asked to deliver the people of Israel, and as they're uh, wandering through the desert, as they're escaping out, what did God provide for them? A cloud by day, right, and a fire by night. He basically provided them the means of, of direction and of guidance and of protection as they were uh, escaping away from the, uh, the Egyptians. So he's saying, hey, we know that all of our fathers, all of the Israeli fathers passed through this cloud and all passed through the Red Sea and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did eat all the same spiritual meat. We know what kind of food they had. They had manna. They had provision that was given to them there in the desert. They did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Again, Paul is just reminding them that all of our fathers as they were being led by the cloud and as they were passing through the scene, as they were drinking of those things, what were they ultimately drinking of? Well, they were exercising faith in Christ because Christ was that rock. Christ was that manna. Christ was that provision. He's saying, hey, all of our forefathers spiritually 
We're in the same place. But with many, verse number five, but with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Here, again, you can just tell through the context there that Paul isn't talking about just trials that happen to come upon life, the, the, just the rigors of daily life, of financial difficulties or of, of health concerns or of, of just family problems or uh, relationship problems that you're just, I got to struggle through this, I got to work through this. He's talking about temptation from a sinful perspective of, of lust that he's saying our forefathers, they all went through the same spiritual process to Christ. They all went through the same a cloud and the same fire and the same sea and they did all the same things and yet many not just a few but many displeased God because they allowed their lusts they allowed temptation to basically overcome their life they allowed temptation to over and God destroyed many of them and God had to chastise many of them and God was displeased with many of them and in the ends it was saying hey you're not any different you're not any different. He's telling this Corinthian church, the Corinthian church was known for being what? Carnal, right? Carnal is the word that we read all the time in, in Corinthians. And, 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 and most would say that that carnality was around the area of either idolatry or fornication. They were known for having many false gods in that community that the Christians oftentimes were drawing to, but they also were known, uh, in fact, I believe the main temple there in Corinth had over a thousand priestesses, which was, were actually most often prostitutes. And it was not uncommon for the Christians to have this draw to uh, uh, the, the fornication that was taking place. And so Paul is addressing Christians here. He's addressing people that spiritually have, have gone through baptism in Jesus Christ, just like the, the forefathers had done. But he's saying, you're just as vulnerable you're just as susceptible to temptation and to lust as they are. And so he gives them some, and he, but, then he, but then he gives them a way. He said, uh, but God is faithful. Also make a way to escape. The Bible says clearly in the book of James that God does not tempt us to sin. God doesn't tempt us with sin. God doesn't come up and say, uh, um, please take of this and let me test you with this sin. God doesn't tempt us to sin. What I believe um, that we, we see is that there's probably many times where God protects us from things that would tempt us to sin. And perhaps God sometimes just allows the, the natural things of life to come our way as a form of proving, 
as a form of trial, as a form of, of refining. And we can, we can see that in Scripture. You go back to Adam and Eve. Uh, Adam, or God didn't tempt Adam and Eve with the apple, did he? God said, hey, there's this tree you shouldn't eat from, and here's the trees you can eat from. And he, and he laid down what the law was. He da- laid down what was right and wrong, but he left it to Adam and Eve. Now, God could have came and what? Killed the serpent before it ever tempted Adam and Eve. He could have. But God allowed the serpent to come and tempt Eve and to come and tempt Adam. And, of course, we know that they sinned and brought sin into this world. But God himself did not tempt them with that. But God is faithful to provide a way out of temptation. And so this morning, I just want to look at just a few thoughts from this passage for us to consider this morning about God guiding us through temptation. How can God guide us and make this a way of escape out of temptation? I know for myself, I am not perfect when it comes to uh, faults and, and, and failures and things in my own life where, man, Satan, I think, just knows what right buttons to push. Satan knows. My flesh knows what things to allure to. Or my flesh knows what, what really draws my mind. My flesh knows these things. And so, boy, I need God's help to escape. I can't, I, can't, I can't escape those things on my own. I think we could all agree at times we've probably tried. Um, oh, I can, t- I can take care of my temper. I know I can, I can conquer that. I can conquer that. Man, I need God to give me a way to escape out of temptation when it comes to anger. I need God to give me a way of escape when it comes to uh, lust or when it comes to gossip or when it comes to bitterness or whatever it might be. These things that are tempting us. Boy, I need God to give me a way of escape. And he promises to do that. He promises that he can help us uh, overcome these things. So let's look here at just a few thoughts, and then we'll be done this morning. Uh, first of all, let's just consider the examples of those before us. What does he say here? He says, moreover, brethren, verse number one, I would that you would not be ignorant. Not be ignorant. Why, would, why does he not want us to be ignorant? He says in... Uh, verse number six, now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things. He says in verse number 11, now all these things happened unto them for and samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. They are written for our admonition. Okay, so Paul is saying, listen, these things were provided for you. These things that happened to Israel, these sins and lusts and idolatrous things that they went into are written for a reason. God allowed them to be written in this book and provided to us for a reason. Why? For our admonition. What's the the common quote? Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to what? Repeat it, it, right? Look, one way to, a way of escape that he gives us when it comes to temptation, a way of escape is, wow, let me consider what happened to other people that fell into that temptation. You know, um, pastor mentions it occasionally, and, and, and it's been said from this pulpit, but it is a sad day when there are Christians or there are specifically pastors and, and uh, leaders of, of Christianity who fall in some immoral sin or fall in some big temptation or fall in some act of greed or fall in some sort of just bad situation or whatever it might be. Boy, that should be for your admonition, right? I I mean, uh, you not only just look at what was written, but just look at what has occurred in the lives of people and you you can bank on it that sin never has brought about a good result in the life of anybody. 
It can be hidden for a time. It can be, uh, it can be on the outside displayed as some uh, a good life. And it can, but at the end, it will always bring what the Bible calls of destruction. It will always lead to death. It'll always lead to destruction. And, these guys, and, and Paul here is telling these Corinthians, he's saying, I'm trying to help encourage you when it comes to carnality and to fleshly lust and to idolatry and to temptation. Hey, these are some examples for you to look at. Let's look at these examples here real quick that he gives here. He gives five specific uh, sins and lusts that the children of Israel fell after. So just follow, me with, or follow with me a little bit here. We're going to move around in the Old Testament and I'll just take you to these passages. We're not going to read the entire stories. But he says there in uh, verse number seven, Neither be idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. <clears throat> look at, let's look at um, Exodus chapter 32. Anybody know the story that he's probably referring to? The golden calf. Exodus chapter 32 is the story of the golden calf. This is where uh, Moses is up on the mountain to receive the commandments and, and to receive instruction of the Lord. And it says in verse 1, and the people, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down, that they gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said, Up, make us gods. And it goes into verse 2, Aaron tells them to break off all their golden earrings of, their, of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. And all the people did it, and he basically received them and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. He built an altar, verse number 5. And it says in verse 6, And they rose up early on the morning and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink, and rose up to play. It's the exact same thing that, that Paul relayed there in verse number 7. The people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. And of course we know how the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee down to thy people. He's telling them, you know, My anger is, I am hot against the people. And he was wrath. I mean, God wanted to destroy the children of Israel. And of course we know that, that, that Moses tried to intercede there, and he besought the Lord, and... Um, and sought that he would uh, uh, save them. But here, Moses is giving an example. He says, look at what happened to these guys. They, uh, Moses is away for a little bit, and Paul says these, they just sat down to eat and to drink and then rose up to play. Uh, they allowed their, their desire for entertainment. They allowed their desire for these lusts of, of craving, of being satisfied of some worship or some play or some... Uh, uh, again, when, you, when I think of the word play, I think of the entertainment culture we live in. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy. We just can't, people cannot sit long enough without something to just, I gotta be entertained. I mean, I gotta have something that is moving my mind, that is, is, is bringing me some sort of play and some sort of uh, fantasy or some sort of entertainment, whatever it might be. Paul is saying, hey, look, <laughs> they weren't any different back then. I mean, they, it says when they saw Moses was delayed, it was almost like Moses wasn't here to get us on to the next thing. Moses wasn't here to bring us what God had for us next. So, you know what? We're getting a little impatient. We need something to fill our time. So they sat down, they ate, they drank. The drinking probably didn't help. We can assume it probably wasn't good drink. And then they said they played. 
And they, and they built this, this false god, this idolatrous god. We ought to be careful about the entertainment and this drive for entertainment. I have to tell my kids, my son Christopher, uh, he, good thing he's not anywhere nearby. You don't have to tell him I told you this. But he is just a, man, this kid just, he has to keep going. And so Chris will be the type, he'll say, Dad, Dad, can we, uh, uh, can we play a game? I'm like, yeah, sure, you guys can play a game for a little bit. And then we'll say, okay, stop with the game. He goes, okay, then what do I get to do next? Well, I don't know, go find something creative to sit down and do. No, 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 Dad, Dad, Dad what, what do I get to do next? Like, what's active? Like, what do I get to play? What do I get to do? No, 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 bud, just sit down and rest for a little while. Like, just sit down and just enjoy being at home. No, 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 Dad, Dad, Dad I need something to do. I mean, it's all the time, and, I'm, and I find that we really live in a culture that just continues to thrive off of idle hands and idle time. It doesn't really exist anymore. I mean, it's pushing people to entertainment, entertainment, entertainment all the time and play, play, play. Hey, it wasn't any different for the Israelites. Hey, that's an example for us. Look what it led them to do when they had to constantly seek something to play and something to do. It led them into lustful things. It led them into uh, 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 idolatrous acts. <clears throat> What does he say there? What's the second one? He says, verse number eight, neither let us commit fornication. You know, actually, let me go back. I forgot to do verse number six. Now, these things were for our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Let me take you to Numbers chapter 11. I meant to start with this one. Numbers chapter 11. Verse number one, and when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taberah because of the fire of the Lord. And the mixed multitude, verse four, that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? When, when, when Paul here is referencing in verse number six that they should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. You know what the children of Israel were doing? The children of Israel, they had manna and they had provision, but you know what they were doing is they were getting real tired of manna. Yep. That's right. They were getting tired of it and they began to complain and they began to be displeased with the food and they began to think of what would be the food, the fish and all the things that we would have back in Egypt. And they thought of all this great buffet we could have. And all I got is manna. That doesn't satisfy my cravings. That doesn't satisfy what I desire to have. And it says that they went, they fell a lusting. Who shall give us flesh? They went, they, they basically became desperately craving, lusting for something else to have. And we know that the rest of the story is that ultimately God ended up saying, fine, I'm going to give you enough meat to have that you're going to basically be so full of it and so sick of it. I'm just going to give you all the f food you can have. And what it came down, quail. And man, they had all the quail they could handle. And, uh, and then the Bible says that as they started eating some of the quail, many of them died from a plague. And God still took some of them out for their, their uh, discontent and their complaining and basically their lustful desires. It wasn't out of a spiritual desire to have quail. It was that my flesh craves this. Again, um, Paul is telling the Corinthians here, you better be mindful about the lust that you allow to just rampantly act in your life. 
uh, it didn't go well for the children of Israel to allow their lust to take over, to allow their lusting to bring about what they were desiring. He said, we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So he's talking about their lust. And then in verse number seven, he talks about their idolatry. In verse number eight, he says, neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. Look at Numbers chapter 25. Numbers chapter 25. Verse number one says, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifice of their gods, and the people did eat and bow down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And then he tells a story about a lady that had, uh, had been with one of these men, and, and Phineas and, uh, went in and they took a javelin and killed this person. <clears throat> and it says there, verse number 8, And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel, and those that died in the plague were twenty and four thousand now real quick because i know that there would be some that would immediately say some controversy in scripture here how many did paul say died on that day Twenty-three thousand. he said in one day twenty-three thousand died and how many did it say here died Twenty-four thousand. so is the scripture contradicting itself no i think there's some reasonable things you could you could uh, estimate one is he didn't when he talked in verse number four about the lord telling them to take the heads of the people and put them out to the fierce anger of the sun okay. there's nothing that says that was part of the plague that could have been another thousand people that immediately just went out and, and were killed a certain way and then the, the twenty-three thousand were killed in the plague it doesn't it doesn't specifically say that or the plague could have been for multiple days all that paul says is that in one day twenty-three thousand died it doesn't say that total in the plague were 23,000. So I think there's some, there's some reasonable uh, uh, explanations we could look at that. And again, we're not going to dive into a bunch of hermeneutical discussion on that. Um, but I'm, I firmly believe Scripture doesn't contradict itself. Um, and, 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 and Paul, again, was making a point that a large amount of people died in one day. Why? Because they committed fornication. Because they went after the daughters of Moab, because they went after Baal Peor. Baal Peor was known for being an extremely wicked god to worship, full of fornication, was, was, uh, was rampant in, in the worship of Baal Peor. Uh, and, and, and that's what Israel went after. And God, through his anger, uh, basically killed 24,000 of them. 24,000 people died within a, a short period of time because of their fornication. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, what else does he say? So he talks about lusting after our carnal desires, idolatry, fornication. He says in verse number 9, Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Turn back just a couple chapters, number chapter 21. I wish Paul would have gone in chapter order here. Yeah. Amen? <laughs> Made this a little easier. Numbers chapter 21. Verses 5 and 6. 
And the people spake against God and against Moses, Whereof have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. Our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Here you have where they come to God, and they basically, the thought of tempting God is they're trying to prove God. Remember, the word temptation or tempt means to prove or to try, uh, to put on trial. They come to God and they basically interrogate God. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why are you leaving us here with no bread and no water? Why are you doing it? And they're accusing and they're trying to prove God and, and really force God's hand. And God says, you don't tempt God. And what did he do? He sent these serpents and these serpents came. And these serpents uh, killed many of the people there. It doesn't give us a number, but we know that a large amount of people died uh, because of this tempting God that are tempting, uh, yeah, tempting God that Paul is referring to. He says, don't let us, we don't want to be people that tempt Christ. We don't want to challenge him and accuse him and basically force him to act on our behalf. That's not who he is. And then verse number 10, the last one here, he says, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. And we could look at Numbers chapter 14, but we know Numbers 14 is the story of the spies that went to go spy out the land. And they came back and they began to complain about, oh, we can't do this, we can't do this, we can't do this. And then all the people forsook what Joshua and Caleb were saying. All the people agreed with these other 10 and said, no, 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 yeah, we cannot go in. And they began to murmur and complain. And God said, fine, this generation is destroyed. This generation is destroyed. They were destroyed of the destroyer. They basically said, if you go wander the wilderness, you will not see the land. You're going to die in the wilderness. Why? Because of their murmuring. And we could read much of the, the, the book of Exodus and Numbers and see over and over again, the children of Israel were just complainers, weren't they? Murmurs. You know what Paul is saying? Paul is just simply saying, look, these people lusted. These people were idolatrous. These people were fornicators. These people were tempters of Christ. These people were murmurs. And you know what? They're simply examples for you and I. Because we also have those same temptations. Our idolatry may not be to go build a, a golden calf. Or our, our idolatry or our fornication may not be where we go to some cultish house of worship where prostitutes are. And we may not be that uh, outward about it. It may not be that evident about it. But we are just as drawn to lustful and fornicating and to murmuring and to tempting of Christ and to idolatry as they were. These were given to us as examples, written for our admonition. Why does he say that? Because in verse 12 he says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. He's not talking about the Israelites any longer. He's talking about people in Corinth. He's talking about you and I. We ought to take heed to these things lest we fall. Take admonition from these things. So how does God guide us through temptation? One is we ought to, we ought to look at the examples that were given to us. We ought to learn uh, from the scripture that tells us what the downside is to following after our lust. What is, the, what is the, the penalty? The Bible says in James chapter 2, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. And that death isn't just always a physical death. It can be a death of relationships. It can be a death of, 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 of fellowship with God. It, can, it just brings destruction. Sin never brings about a good outcome. And Paul is saying here, hey, here's some examples for you to look at. So first, let's consider these examples. Consider this for admonition and say, wow, I should take that to heart. 
If I want to have a way out of escape and temptation comes my way, let me consider how God dealt with these things in the past and how it angers God and it frustrates God and it, uh, and it brings God's judgment. And then the second thing is, consider the error of thinking you are exempt from temptation. Anybody in here exempt from temptation? I want to come live in your house, hang out with you all the time, right? What does he say in verse number 12? Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand and take heed lest he fall. Hey, none of us are exempt from this. None of us. These things all sound extremely wicked. The idolatry and the fornication and the tempting of Christ and the murmuring and the lusting. We'd all say, oh, those are so wicked. And yet on such small scale, sometimes we live out each of these. How many times do we put up another God in front of our God? Something that we say, oh, you take the place of, of worshiping him with my time and with my energy. How many times do we allow our thoughts to wander into things that would implicate fornication or implicate idolatry? Or how many times do we complain against what God does for us and complain about where God has us in our lives? Look, <laughs> we're not exempt from these things. And a place to start when you say, God, help guide me through temptation is to say, God, I know I'm vulnerable to it. I need your help. I need your direction. I need your guidance. I need your protection. I need the word of God to help guide me. I, I'm not exempt from these things. Take heed lest he fall. How many people have fallen because they just thought, ah, these things are just so petty. They're never gonna be, they would never be a problem in my life. You know, people that have committed major acts of adultery and things like that, it never started with that first act. I mean, it started much smaller. People that walked away from the church, you know, pastor referred to, um, I, I'm forgetting his name, but the guy that wrote the book, um, I Kissed Dating Goodbye or whatever it was. I think Joshua Harris was his name. I remember, I, in fact, I still have that book. Sonia had that book in high school. And we actually liked the song that he, he, he wrote another book and had a song with it. And we were like, we really like this song. And we, we, we thought that that was a really good book. This guy now, what, 30-something years later or 25 years later or something like that is basically saying, I was wrong. When I said that you shouldn't touch before you're married, I was wrong because you know what our bodies need is physical contact. Like that's what he's saying now. It's like, I was so misguided. And he's, and he's basically recoiling and coming back and retracting, saying, oh, I, 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 I was wrong about those things. You know what? That didn't start with. And honestly, he's, he's basically idolatrous. He, he's, he's turning away from God. He's now putting worldly philosophy and worldly thoughts and worldly things in place of biblical teaching. He's idolatrous. And I, I'm not here to say if he's saved or he's not saved, but boy, he sure is living in an idolatrous mindset now. But you know what? It didn't start just three months ago when he came out and said, never mind, I retract. It was years and years of him questioning God. It was years and years of him questioning the Bible. It was years and years of him saying, is God really about this? Is God really about this? And it was allowing other things to influence and other things to come in. And all of a sudden now he's an idolater. I mean, he's, he's basically pushing God aside and saying that that's not even right. It's not even real. Listen, it can happen to any of us. We're not exempt. So it ought to cause us to be that much more um, humble and submissive to the things of God to say, God, I, I need help when it comes to temptation. I am not uh, some uh, uh, mighty uh, iron dome, you know, that, that is, you know, can't be hit and penetrated by anything. No, no, I am just as vulnerable as the Israelites. 
I'm just as vulnerable as these carnal Corinthian Christians. I'm just as vulnerable as anybody. Because Satan knows where to push, and my flesh knows where to push, and I don't have a way to overcome that in my own way. I need another way, and that's the way that God would give us, a way of escape, a way to overcome that. Consider the era of thinking you are exempt from temptation. <clears throat> Let me give you... Um, Oh, I think I turned my pages around here. Around here. <clears throat> and then the last thought here. Continue to execute diligence to avoid temptation. Be diligent. I keep thinking about that movie, The Great Escape. Imagine for a whole year how, long, how much effort it took to dig those tunnels. Um, I forget what the stats were. Let me see if I can get it real quick here. But they did like uh, an inventory. Where did they say? The Germans did an inventory of the camp after the escape. And along with the 4,000 bedboards, it was discovered that 50 to 20 man tables, 34 chairs, 76 benches had all gone missing and been used by the prisoners for the tunnel. They found 635 mattresses missing, 192 bed covers, 161 pillowcases, 1,219 knives, 478 spoons, 582 forks, 1,400 powder, powdered milk cans, it says that they dug out a hundred ton of sand, 100 ton of dirt. And you know what they would do is they'd put these false pouches in their pockets and they would walk the yard and they would just drip sand out of their legs as they'd walk the yard just so that it didn't look, they weren't taking these massive amounts. So again, how diligent would that take? How much effort? They said that they were allowed to tend certain gardens, so they would come to their garden, and as they would tend to it, they would just drop some of it out and put it in the soil and, and pound it down, and they would just keep dripping this, these things out. I mean, talk about the diligence that it took for them to be able to escape. Hey, listen, Christian, it's gonna take, it takes diligence to escape out of temptation. It takes some determination. Uh, you know, the, the Satan, it says, is, is, is a roaring lion seeking who may me devour. He's not... He's not just going to do some minor attack and then leave you alone. Your flesh doesn't just disappear all of a sudden because you said no to temptation one time. Because you said, no, I'm going to make the right choice this time. The next time it's going to come clothed differently. The next time it's going to appear differently. But he wants to destroy us. <clears throat> so we have to be diligent. There's a couple phrases that are used here in this passage that I like. And I think they paint a good picture of this idea of escaping. There's two, word, there's two uh, thoughts here. In verse number 12, he says, Take heed, lest ye fall. Take heed. The idea of taking heed is that of diligence, being perceptive, watching, vigilance. Again, think about these men digging this tunnel. Uh, again, it wasn't like they could just walk around camp talking about it. Hey, how much did you dig last night? Oh, I got like five feet done, man. It was pretty cool. I used 17 sporks, you know. They didn't have sporks back then, but... Uh, you know, they couldn't talk about it. In fact, this guy Bushnell even threatened the men. He said, if we hear ever you say the word tunnel, or we hear you say anything referencing this, you'll be court-martialed when you get out of here. Like he, was, he threatened them like it's complete secrecy. Uh, there was no talking about it. But they had to be diligent, and they had to, be, uh, uh, to persevere, and they had to take heed and be perceptive, and, and basically constantly be watching and looking out for uh, an enemy guard or someone that would be coming or, or any sign that it would be discovered. Taking heed. 
To perceive with the eye, discern, consider, contemplate. The thought is to turn one's thought towards something. It basically is to put your focus solely on that, to take heed. You know, Paul is just saying, hey, take heed to these sins that these Israelites fell into. Take heed to these these temptations that they gave into. Take heed to them, lest ye fall. He's saying, give it focus. We treat sin, unfortunately, in our culture so flippantly. It is really just treated like, well, as long as it's not major, as long as it's just, you know, it's not leading me to like, you know, uh, you know some major, major act of fornication. It's not, it's not leading me to go to some wicked cultist church. I mean, it's just a church that somewhat waters down the Bible. And, and we, we, we basically find ways to justify these days what we call minor sin. And we ought to say, man, Paul, help me to, or Lord, help me to take heed like Paul says, to take heed and give my full focus to any temptation and say, I need to escape out of that. I need to uh, 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 move away from that. To take heed. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus tells the disciples, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The idea of watch is the exact same. It's a similar word. It's the idea of be vigilant, be sober-minded. Don't let your mind wander to other things. Be solely focused on this thing. Why? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Here's a few things I'll, um, I'll give you this morning. Uh, look at Luke chapter 21 here real quick. I thought this was a, a great passage here. Luke chapter 21. Now, the, the, this whole chapter is really talking about future destruction and, and things like that that are going to be coming. Um, the destruction of the temple and some other things. But then he kind of turns here. Jesus tells them in verse 34. Luke 21, 34, he says, And take heed to yourselves lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with the surfeiting, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, and pray always that ye be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. What is he telling him to do? He's saying, hey, the day of the Lord's going to come, and you don't want to be caught unaware. So watch and take heed and be mindful so that you can escape the snares of this life, escape those things so that when you stand before God, you can stand before God in a good place, worthy to stand before Him. But He's telling them to watch, to be perceptive. What are some things that we should take heed to? I'll just give you a few practical thoughts. Take heed to your eyes. Take heed to your eyes. What do you allow to come through your eyes? What do you allow yourself to see? Again, we're such a culture or an entertainment-driven culture, a, 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 a fantasy culture, just all this uh, fantasy and gameplay and role model, all these things that just aren't real. Virtual reality, right? I was just at main event the other day for a work thing. Main event is just a, a place where you can bowl and play video games and laser tag and stuff, and we had like a work event there. And man, they are just getting seriously crazy about virtual reality. They have a whole stage now where like four people can all go in and put these headsets on. And you can walk around this whole big platform and basically you fight in these games together, but you're just walking around the stage and you're just going crazy. And I'm like, wow, virtual reality is everywhere. <clears throat> Take heed with your eyes. What uh, David said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. David, David, we know had a major fall because he allowed things to be before his eyes. He didn't take heed. 
He allowed something to get in front of him that led him to a, major, a, a few major sins. Job said, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I look upon a maid? <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 6, the eye is equated with the gateway to the heart. He says, for where, your heart, where your, your heart is, there will your treasure be also. And the next verse talks about the eye being single. And that if you, if you allow light to come into the eyes, the whole body will be light. But if you allow darkness, it will be full of evil. Basically, the idea is that the eye, the eye gate is basically the center to what feeds your heart. Again, what do you allow to feed your eyes? What do you look upon? <clears throat> that could be from reading. It could be from watching. It could be from... Uh, uh, observing things. It could just be from uh, uh, even just our thoughts and what we allow our thoughts to think about and allow our eyes to vision, our mind to vision things. Take heed to it. Take heed to prayer. Matthew 26, he says, watch and pray. The Lord himself included it in his example prayer, did he not? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Luke 22, he says, He said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. We ought to seek God's deliverance each and every day. We ought to say every day, Lord, I need to focus on prayer that helps, helps me deal with temptation for today. You want to have a way to escape out of temptation? Pray. Have a prayer life. And I'm going to have to wrap it up there because we're going to run out. We ran out of time here this morning. Lord willing, we'll finish up next week. Just this thought about God delivering us from temptation. And uh, I hope to try and encourage us this morning that we're not left destitute to deal with our flesh. We're not left. Uh, God says, hey, there's a way to escape. Um, you know, the Israelites, if you look back, they had ways to avoid those sins. It wasn't like God thrust it upon them and said, you're left to have to sin. They had ways to escape and they chose not to. And that's an admonishment for us that God will give us ways to escape. God will help provide means for us to overcome those things if we'll seek Him. Let's close in prayer this morning and then we'll get ready for the next service. Lord, we thank You for our time and I just pray that You would just help us in this area of temptation, Lord, to uh, seek Your way of escape, to seek Your guidance as we deal with uh, our flesh, we deal with uh, the cares of this world, and we deal with Satan influencing our lives. So we just pray that You would help us to be submissive, help us to be humble before You, Lord, that You would guide us in these areas in our life. Bless the service to follow, and I just pray you be with Pastor in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>